Well, as you heard Pastor Ryan already say, this is our final installment uh, in our uh, series, on our series from the book of Galatians entitled Free. We pray that uh, as you've been listening or watching or uh, attending, receiving it all in person or virtually, that uh, your hearts have been blessed and your understanding of the gospel has been made more complete, that you understand how absolutely central uh, the gospel and Jesus' work on the cross needs to be to our lives. And um, I pray that Paul's redundance in that message has really served you well. I think every single one of us has probably been a person felt, we felt ourselves being redundant, but then we also felt a certain necessity, like, man, I, I just need to say this one more time. I need to make sure you heard me. I need to make sure you, you got this clearly. Has anybody ever felt themselves pulled into that moment? Well, you knew that, like, you know how much you hate it when people repeat themselves to you, but at the same time, you feel compelled to do it yourself because you're like, I got to make sure my message is getting across. And I feel like we've been receiving quite a bit of that from the Apostle Paul today, and uh, well, today or, or throughout all of our weeks together. And so he's going to beat this drum one more time, and we're going to explore yet another angle in which he approaches this same topic of uh, how much we need Jesus and Jesus alone, uh, despite anything else that may be vying for uh, the top spot or a central place in our hearts to validate our faith in Christ. But let's pray first and ask for the Lord's help. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning and I need you. I need you. Lord God, I beat this drum one more time. I remember the Apostle Paul's words when he came to, you, to the saints at Corinth and he said, when I came in amongst you, when he came in amongst them, he claimed to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified so that the people's faith would not rest in the words of men or in their oratory abilities or in his education, but that there would be a demonstration of the spirit that would become the, the essence of their faith. Lord God, I pray that this morning you would have the same impact on us. Lord God, I pray that uh, we would walk away having heard from, heard from you. Lord God, that people would, to whatever extent possible, would ignore me, would be, make me forgettable, but make yourself and your words totally unforgettable. Lord God, would you please let there be a, such a, a personalized um, delivery of, of, of truth that lands at the address, the circumstantial, emotional, intellectual addresses of every person sitting here, Lord God, today. Lord God, would you customize, uh, 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 Lord God, just a little something for them so that it becomes clear that they've had an encounter with you and not just check the box for the week of having attended church. Lord God, would you please, would you teach me in this moment? Lord God, would there just be, a, just be this live uh, interaction between us in which the folks in the audience just get a chance to, to peep in on our conversation? Lord God, would you even, Lord God, speak to me and especially me in this moment? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we take on these uh, uh, final few verses, there's something quite peculiar that Paul says in the very first verse. I'm going to read the entirety of our text from uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through uh, 18, but I'll be giving particular emphasis in certain places that are going to be important to today's message. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11, reads as follows. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire that you uh, who have been circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Be it far from me to boast uh, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my own body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit, or be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The title of today's message is Bold. It is bold. Um, if you saw Paul's words there in verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I am writing with you with my own hand. I'm writing to you with my own hand. And just in case you thought it was during the text message or the email error when we decided to capitalize or increase the font of our communication, just when you thought that was a modern phenomenon, here you are. Here you are seeing that in the ancient world, as the Apostle Paul is writing in this written correspondence, recognizing that he may not have the ability of a face-to-face -face encounter. He's not going to have the ability of turning up a mic or, uh, or, or, or preaching to them in person. And he wants to make sure that this long-distance correspondence drives home with adequate emphasis the ideas that he, want to, that he wants to convey. As if he hasn't said enough from the very beginning of the book, here we are in its final paragraph, and he says, look at the large letters that I'm writing to you with. You've done this before, no doubt. You've been sending a text message, and you've backed it out several times, saying, I don't know if that's the right word choice. And then you say, no, well, you know what? These are the right words, but let me make sure that this gets across. Let me capitalize that. And then your recipient goes, oh, are you yelling at me? No, I just want to make sure you, I want to make sure we're clear. Or perhaps where, where, you've not, where you've not capitalized all your letters, maybe you were sending an email and, and, and it was a lengthy one and you recognize that some of the finer points of what you want to drive home may get lost in the particulars and the details. And so what do you do? You go back in your lengthy correspondence and you highlight, you italicize, you underline, you make bold. You do something to the thought to make sure that the reader sees that if you ignore, if you press snooze, if you intellectually check out on everything else, can you at least see this? I mean, it's why even our emails, are, 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 our emails uh, uh, platforms are set up in such a way that you can assign to the email a subject. Just in case you're sending it to a person who really doesn't want to read anything you send, let me at least see what the subject is. I believe that there is a, I believe that the essence of what we're trying to do through our technology is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing through the pen of the Apostle Paul when he says, see with which large letters I am writing. Then he goes further, with my own hand. Why is that important? In, the, uh, in this era, in the first century of the church, it would not have been uncommon for the Bible writers to utilize an amanuensis. That is, they may have been in a room, maybe talking these words or teaching these things, and the amanuensis would have been a person who was writing this down for them, a scribe, if you will. The Apostle Paul says, listen to me carefully. 
Notice not only the change in the size and the font, but I also want you to recognize that this is me writing. I wrote this, just in case you're wondering. This is how serious I am. I have taken over the pen. I've taken over the quill. I am the one who's going to write this with my own hand. And so Paul wants to make a bold statement in his closing sentiments of the letter. And I believe that the bold statement that he wants to make and make sure that it leaps off the page at his, for his readers, I believe that this is a, this is a, a statement that, that, that is laced throughout the letter, but in these last several verses, I think there are several elements of what it means to, to, for, for it to be bold. And here it is. I believe that first and foremost, that belonging to Jesus is in itself a bold statement. It is a kind of statement that should literally leap off the page when we're encountering other people. I was uh, in the hallway just a few moments ago chatting with Steve Skinner, and he said to me, he said, man, you know, Pastor Rod, he says, I, I, man, I believe that it, should, it, it shouldn't take very long for in a gathering of folks for someone to find out that they have encountered a believer. Now, is it because we'll be wearing the right T-shirt or is it because we'll be wearing a, uh, some sort of, of um, you know, Lifeway uh, jewelry crested, you know, blazer with a little lapel mark on it? No, no. Something about our character, something about us, something about the content of who we are should leave people immediately saying something is different about that guy or that gal. Something is different about that man or woman. Something is different about this particular child in my classroom. Why? Because the Christian life should come with a certain kind of boldness, something that leaps off the page. And so belonging to Jesus is a bold statement. Hold on to those words because it will be helpful through appreciating the remainder of the message. What was happening here is obvious that Paul says that those who have been trying to push the Galatian saints to, begin, to, to get circumcised have two agendas. One, they want to be able to boast in what they have accomplished through peer pressure in you. And they also want to avoid persecution. And the Apostle Paul says that that's the wrong agenda, that those who belong to Jesus will live boldly and they'll make a bold statement in the following ways. Number one, our primary boast will be in the cross of Christ. Our primary boast will not be in what we uh, uh, coerced or cajoled other people into doing, but our primary boast should be in Christ himself, not in anything that we have accomplished we should have a boast in Christ. It's found right here in verse 14. But be it far from me that I have a boast in anything except for Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Sounds simple enough, but I want you to also connect it to the person who's saying it. Certainly, Paul has accomplished much. He is one of the principal missionaries who goes down in history, and obviously he's super popular even today. The Apostle Paul has much that he could hang his hat on in terms of both theology and culture and personal accomplishment. He's an extremely learned man. He is extremely fluid and theologically erudite. He is a person who is extremely influential in shaping the thought life of the church. And he says, but my primary boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My primary boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe it should be our primary boast as well. So when I say that to, to belonging to Jesus is a bold statement, number one, B, 
it should be marked by a constant boast in the cross of Christ. The active work that Jesus is doing in your life should be the lead banner. It should be the marquee. We've been places and we've also seen people who it became immediately obvious what they boast in because their lives have a banner statement. Have you been in the airport and seen that person that comes through with the full five-piece set of Gucci luggage? I mean, they're making a statement. You don't need to interview them. You kind of immediately understand what some of the priorities are there. Have you, have you passed by a, a, a facility, some random building uh, tucked back uh, off of the street, but it had a humongous banner on the front that said like 10,000 hours with no workplace injuries? Have you seen this thing? They've got a banner statement, something that tells the world, here's what we are proud of. Here's something that is happening in this place. And we want the world to know about it. It has become their boast. Have you, have, you, have you encountered a person who in every conversation has a way to work in the accomplishments of their kids into every, every corridor of the conversation regardless of where it might start? The, you understand what is their boast. It is an area that brings them significant pride. No matter how they have to get there, they manage to get there. We all have a boast. We all have a banner. We all have something that we raise up that says, this is my banner statement. This is something that regardless of anything else you know about me, I want you to know this. This is not an uncommon practice. And so if everybody has a boast, then the Bible says, make sure that your boast, you're working hard that your boast be in the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of having a banner statement for one's life or a boast, if you will, is not unique to the Old Testament. I believe that there are some seedlings of this as early as the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 17, Moses, along with Aaron and Hur, are leading Israel in a battle against the Amalekites. And there's this famous moment where Moses, as long as his hands are raised, the people of God are prevailing and winning. But the moment that his hands drop, they are beginning to lose momentum in this battle. And so Aaron and Hur uh, stand alongside Moses and keep his hands raised. And after that battle is won, Moses sets up an altar to the Lord in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. And he built an altar and he called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, which in English for us is the Lord is my banner. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Why would he say banner? Because in ancient battles, when the warriors would come up over the hill, they would have raised up a flag that says, this is who we are. This is what we represent. This is, this is what we came to protect. This is our prowess. This is where we get our pride. This is where we get our name. This is where we have our allegiance. And so your banner was your boast when you came into battle. And when you were bested in that battle, you would drop your flag and you would raise up the white flag. You would be throwing in the towel, essentially. But when you won, you would take that flag or you would take that banner representing you and your people and you would obviously plant it to say that we've now taken this. It is your boast. And so here it is. We know that every single name, whether it be Jehovah Rapha, whether it be Jehovah Mekeshkadim, whether it be Jehovah Shalom, we know that every name of the Old Testament has this little trajectory where it is pointing to its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Christ. And so where in the Old Testament, Jehovah Nisi was where God would say, I want to be your banner. I want to be your boast. In the New Testament, it becomes the work of Christ. Those who live a life for Jesus are making a bold statement, and that first of that bold statement is this, 
we want to boast in Christ. Why? Because it is in the work of Christ from which we derive our reputation. It is the reason for our pride and the power by which we get results. Everybody has a banner. Everybody has a flag. Everybody has a pride. Everybody has a sense of, 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 of something that you hold up that says, this is what I am a part of. And here we come. For the Christian, your banner should be your boast in Christ. How long does it take for people to be around you before they find out that you're one of his? So everybody has a boast, and it is what you have led us to believe, not just what you would like for us to believe. Did you hear me? Everybody has a boast, and that boast is based on your advertisement, your banner statement for your life. It is exactly what you have led us to believe through your regular demonstration, not what you would just like for us to believe. Number two, belonging to Jesus is a bold statement, not only because our boast is in the cross of Christ, but because if you look at verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So a couple of things are happening. Persecution for early Christians took place on two premises, or at least two. If you, were, if you were people who had aligned yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what the, I'm going I'm to give you a hot word, button word, you might even be triggered. Does anybody know what label was placed on Jesus when he was brought up on charges? What was he called? What was he called, Lawrence? An insurrectionist. Now, I know in the modern lexicon and modern vocabulary, most of us probably only associate that word with January 6th, but long before that, Jesus was branded as an insurrectionist, a person who was trying to overthrow the government because he situated himself as a king and said that his kingdom was not of this earth. And all those who followed Jesus were also said to be a part of that. Therefore, local governments persecuted Christians under that guise. That these people are trying to, they serve another king. They don't serve the local authorities like they're supposed to. They won't kneel to Caesar. So there was that level of persecution, but then there was also persecution because Christians were considered to be an offshoot or a cult of Judaism. Who are these little weird people that, that they, 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 even when you kill them, they grow? That we can't suppress, we can't stop the church. Who are these people that are willing to give their lives for this? Who are these people that live so boldly, that have their boast in this Lord Jesus Christ, who we tried to get rid of him, and they keep coming? And so what does it mean? It means that not only are those who are making a bold statement for Jesus, not only do they live for him, but they are not trying to avoid persecution. We don't like it. We don't long for it. But, but the Judaizers here, these people who wanted to, 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 to convince the Galatian saints to get circumcised, what they wanted to do was to say, hey, we're not, we're, we're getting them to come to our side. We're getting them to be more Jewish. Don't persecute us. We're trying to bring them into compliance. And so this is how they were trying to avoid persecution, because they didn't want to be more fully identified with the cross of Christ, because that was a hallmark for persecution in many ways. And so believers are not only making a bold statement because our boast is only in the cross of Christ, but also because we own persecution as a fact of our faith. 
We own persecution as a fact of our faith. We own it. We're not running from it. We're not avoiding it. We're not lunging into it. But when it occurs, we own persecution as a fact and function of our faith. Why? Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, remember this. One of the most iconic moments in Scripture where this was about to play out was when the Lord Jesus Christ had been arrested and there were people who saw Peter and said, Didn't you, you, don't you roll with Jesus? Don't you hang with him? And he worked hard to avoid persecution by saying, no, 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 I don't know the man. He was not prepared in that moment of his life to own persecution as a function of his faith. But we all do it in some ways. You may not know this. Right now in our culture, we celebrate those who own persecution as a function of their faith. In other words, when we become duly convinced that something is true, we are readily prepared to pay the cost of standing by that truth. Firemen every single day run into peril because of a fundamental truth. This is my role and my contribution to society and the life on the other side of that flame is precious. And they are willing to endure that persecution and we call them heroes for it. Soldiers, the like, they sign up knowing that they could be called up into a moment of giving their lives. And we celebrate that. Why? But they, because they are duly convinced that the, the, the truth of serving their nation comes with a potential consequence of being persecuted or even a, a loss of life. And we celebrate it. Maybe, maybe something less, less drastic than that. If you've ever been at work and you've seen something that you felt was completely out of place and you say, you know what, I don't care if it costs me my job or if it costs me this promotion, I'm going to speak up about this. I'm going to speak out about this. Well, why? But what gives you that kind of moral constitution? Because you are duly convinced and convicted that the thing that you're standing on is true. And so when you believe something is true, you also have this corresponding loss or lowering of your fear of persecution. You're willing to pay that cost. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? A parent who, who feels like their child is being done wrong and they could care less about the embarrassment of going up to the school and making a scene because they believe that it's true that they must defend that child. They don't care about the persecution. In every category of life where people are adequately convinced that what they're standing on is true, they become increasingly emboldened to endure the cost and the consequences that come with standing up for that truth. Have you noticed it? And so our persecution becomes a fact of our faith. Wherever we have the greatest faith, we also have the lowest fear of persecution. Soak in that for a moment. Wherever we have the greatest faith, we also have the lowest fear of persecution. Because something about our convictions tell us that this is simply the cost of this particular truth to which I have hitched my life. Number three. Belonging to Jesus is a bold statement, not only because our only boast is in the cross of Christ or because we, and because we own persecution as a fact of our faith, but look at verses 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
And all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's already made the case for who the real Israel of God is, not those who have come out of uh, Abraham genealogy, but, but those who are in the family tree by way of faith. Now he says, listen, but you have become a new creation. You're not just an updated version of your old self. We are called then to live a life of contrast because we are a brand new creation. You are a brand new creation. In other words, and if you are a brand new creation, you have new capacity. You have new abilities. You're not just an updated or fixed version of yourself. I, I liken it to when, when, when one of the children breaks their iPhones and the screen is all busted and cracked. When I go over to the counter and I get a new phone, I'm not just expecting them to bring out the old phone filled with glue and tape. I'm expecting a new phone, the one with the box that slowly slides off and that new iPhone aroma fills the room and we all kind of, we can't wait to plug it in. I'm expecting a new creation. Now, what's interesting about getting a new phone, when, the, when you get the new phone, not just, a, not just another version of your old phone, but when you get a new phone, what happens? It's got that new camera. It's got new capacity. It's got new capabilities. And there's some things from the old phone that will not pass this way. And I'm telling you that, that when, when you came to Christ, you became not just an updated, taped up, fixed version of the old you, even though you look very similar. Because to me, all the iPhones look similar. But trust me, it's a new creation. And because it is a new creation, it, it does some new things. But here's the, here's the issue that I have sometimes with my, with my offspring as they get the new phones. I'm like, man, I don't see you using any of its new capabilities. You're operating under the rules of the old phone just with the new device. Come on, man, raise your game. You got four cameras on this bad boy. Shoot a movie for me in this house. You just Snapchatting on that? We could have took a step back. We could have got a three. But, 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 but here it is. Not just, this is just not an indictment on my, on my, on my children on their, their phone utilization. But if I've got this new life that has a new lens, a new camera, if you will, I need to be looking at life differently. I need to be testing it out. If I've got new capacity, the new capacity to hold on to God's word because of a new work that's being done. There's, there's a space and a place made in my heart to hold on to God's truth. I want to utilize that new capacity. I want to, Lord, I want to store your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've got some new capacity. I, I, I've got new capabilities. I don't have to fall the same way I fell before. I've got new capabilities. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Read that passage, and how many people have read it and said, Well, <laughs> Bible, I believe you. But the old phone, the old hardware still seems to be in the way. Where, where are my new features? Has anybody ever felt that? Well, here's the response. Living in newness of life is hardest when you still use the old applications. 
Living in newness of life is hardest when you're still using the old applications. When, when, when you are still committed to applying and doing life the old way, but just expecting a few new perks, you are underutilizing and under-accessing the newness of life, this new creation that you have been made. So we are called to live a life of contrast. A contrast not only in light of those who are around us, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, but a life of contrast from our old selves. A, life, a contrast from our old self. Like, like we're, we, are, we are eerily close to the end of the year and about to enter into the new year. And suddenly, people's lives will be filled with all of these affirmations and pursuits and goals, of which I am for all of them. I don't want to say that with this kind of venom that makes you think I'm against goal setting, right? But, 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 but one of the things that we love to do is to showcase the great before and after images of ourselves, right? If you spend any time on social media, you, 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 they are littered with, this is what I used to look like, here's what I look like now. Like, we are to live a life of contrast in contrast to our own selves. I need to be radically different than I used to be in comparison to me. Let me, let me master that before I try to master being radically different from you. In Christ. Fourth and final point, belonging to Jesus is a bold statement because what? We are to boast only in the cross of Christ and his work. We own persecution uh, as a fact of our faith. We pursue to live a life of contrast. I'm spelling the word bold just in case this hadn't become obvious. And then, of course, the final point starts with the letter D. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, was Jesus giving out tattoos on Damascus Road? Jesus branding folks like cattle? What the Apostle Paul is talking about is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, Paul has been subjected to persecution. He has endured some great difficulty, and his very body bears out those marks. I believe that, that we should display our faith like a favorite tattoo. Not your least favorite, not the one that you're ashamed of because of where you got it, when you got it, and how mature you were not at the time you got it. I'm talking about your favorite tattoo, your favorite, right? Even if you're not a tattoo person, you can fully identify with the, the, the idea that there are certain marks that we have on us to which, to which we have great esteem and pride. Why? Because those marks carve out a certain moment in time. Maybe some of you have a tattoo that is a particular date. And, and we all, the general public, can see it. Maybe it's on your ankle or your, or your shoulder or your forearm or, or on your chest or whatever. But, 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 but there's people who have written dates on ourselves. There's a certain moment in our lives that is, that is very formative and that is very unforgettable to us. 
Maybe it's the, the, the date of the death of a certain family member or the date of birth or some other event. But, but you've all seen this. Like there's a certain moment in time when, we, when we, we should display our faith with the same gusto and esteem that we would a favorite tattoo because maybe it points to a certain point in time. Maybe the, our favorite tattoo uh, uh, carves out or illustrates um, a certain person of impact. Have you seen a person who, who has the biceps big enough or maybe a certain section of the body they can put a little face on there, Right? And they'll have like a person there. And, and who is it? Right? And so maybe it's a person that they, they esteem or they don't ever want to forget or that has had a significant impact in their lives. Maybe it's an experience of an epic nature, right? Maybe a person, again, who is maybe in our armed forces or some other similar uh, experience, and they will uh, uh, place some sort of insignia on their body that is illustrative of that particular experience that is very formative and shaping in their lives. Maybe it's just an artistic expression. It's the person who says, this is fully me. I got a sleeve of like a dragon all the way down to my wrist. Or, and, and, and this is, I want people to see this. This is a part of my personal expression. Perhaps it is a, a, a work in progress. You got a sleeve on the left arm and you're about to get one on the right arm. And you got another plan or a campaign to get your whole back done. But we've seen the favor. We've seen great tattoos, have we not? Maybe it's of a past accomplishment. And there's a little emblem or something else that we might write on ourselves. Maybe it's a personal affirmation, a quote, or maybe a passage of scripture or some other symbol. Maybe it's a declaration of allegiance. Maybe you're from a certain place. Maybe you got a little tattoo of Jamaica or a tattoo of Croatia or a tattoo of Alabama or a tattoo of Grady Hospital. You know, we got that around here. The Grady Babies, you know, that's an esteemed select group. <laughs> we got one of them right here. You know them, right? But there's these declarations of allegiance. But, but why do we do that? Because we are not ashamed of those experiences. Even if they may have been traumatic in their nature, even if they may not mean much to others, these, these images and these ideas that we, we mark on ourselves, we are not ashamed of them. And so neither is the Apostle Paul. It is no doubt in my mind that the marks that the Apostle Paul are talking about did not come under in some kind of parlor at the edge of town where his friend was holding his hand. It's almost over, buddy. No, this is someone who was persecuted for Jesus. It was not a pretty moment. But he wears it with incredible pride and esteem. Why? I believe because he knows the essence of Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, him will the Son of Man be ashamed of when he comes into his glory and the glory of my Father with the holy angels. I believe we should display our faith like a favorite tattoo. Now, I want you to think about the placement of a favorite tattoo. It may not be on your forehead. It may not be in the, it, it may not be on your cheeks. But it will be in a place where you don't mind people seeing it. And it'll also be in a place that you don't mind people asking about it. I believe your faith in Christ should be the same way. I know that some people have misgivings about leading with the fact that you are a believer, but man, let me say, you may not lead with the fact that you are a believer in every social gathering, but if you leave and don't nobody know that you were different, something is wrong. There ought to be some kind of Christ-centered curiosity about your convictions. There ought to be something that is coming out of your pores that makes you different. There ought to be some marks on you that make you different. We should display our faith like a favorite tattoo.
Showing the world my faith is both an advertisement of who I belong to and it is an act of accountability. Because once your brand gets out there, those who see you repeatedly now expect certain things of you behaviorally. And we ought to welcome that. So belonging to Jesus is a bold statement. Why? Because it calls us to renew or reconfigure how we've chosen to boast in this life, the things that we brag about. I want to ask you as I kind of wrap up, what is your principal boast? What is your banner? What is your greatest advertisement? What is the thing that people think about within the first five to 10 seconds of seeing or knowing you? What is your brand? What is your boast? What is your banner? Because regardless of what you might want it to be, what you have led us to see it as is really what it is. Ask the Lord, what is your boast? Lord, what do I have the highest pride and esteem in? What do I have the greatest level of allegiance? What am I known for the most? What is my distinctive? How are you handling persecution for that? Because remember, the, the, those who were persecuting or those who were attempting to, to cause the Galatian saints to get these circumcisions and to become more Jewish in their orientation, to follow the law, they wanted to avoid persecution. Do you have pockets in your life where it has become uncomfortable to be known as a follower of Jesus, the real deal, and you are working overtime to avoid persecution? You become fearful about your allegiance and holding him up as your banner. Do you live a life of contrast, both in, uh, both in contrast to the world and in contrast to the old you? These are not just points, they are also questions. And do you display your faith like a favorite tattoo? You may not even be a tattoo person, but do you, do you have a lapel pin? Do you have a certain outfit of a certain brand, a certain fashion statement? Do you have a certain set of earrings, a, piece of, a, a necklace, a piece of jewelry, a certain bumper sticker? All right? I'm the proud parent of an honor roll student over at Canby Lane Elementary. What has become your tattoo? What has become the, the thing that you're proud of and you don't care what imprint it leaves on others? If it ain't Jesus, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning as we close out this series. I want to live boldly for you. I believe other people here want to live boldly for you too. We recognize, oh God, that living boldly for you, however, is not just a function of us having a big personality or being outgoing or having some really robust personal presentation. But we recognize, oh God, that real authentic boldness must come from the work of your Holy Spirit in us, annihilating our fears and inventorying our priorities and showing us what else has become our deepest conviction and replacing that with you, Lord God. Would you search us today and show us where our boast is Show us the places where we're trying to avoid persecution because we don't have the kind of conviction that would let us step out boldly. Show us where we need to live a life of greater contrast. Show us, oh God, where we need to be more forthright in our display of faith. Show us, Lord God, the marks that you have placed on our lives and let us not be ashamed of them. 
that you would become our principal and primary boast. Make us bold, O oh God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.